The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, I'm Matchmaker Maria, the founder of Agave Match. For over a decade, I've combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, I answer your dating and relationship questions and interview experts to give you the tools to find or keep the love of your life. This is Ask a Matchmaker. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. I'm Matchmaker Maria, and this week's guests are Dr. Glenn and Phyllis Hill. Two for one special here. Dr. Glenn and Phyllis Hill (laughs) spent the first 30 years of their marriage living in disconnect. Their first sexual experience sent them into years of avoidance Mm. and pain. Dr. Glenn was so determined to find out what went wrong that he went back to school and became a marriage and family therapist and a clinical sexologist. But it wasn't until he dug deep into emotional regulation where he discovered the source of all of their disconnect. And from there, Dr. Glenn and Phyllis created the Connection Codes, which is a framework to help couples connect emotionally and physically using their four-minute tool. Now, they're authors, speakers, there's links everywhere. I'm going to have all of this in the show notes. You can buy their book, check out their podcast, and of course, uh, look at their website. Uh, they've got a whole free core motion wheel. Anyway, welcome Dr. Glenn and Dr. Phyllis or Dr. Glenn and Phyllis Hill. I don't know how I'm, how do I do this? Well, oh, just no. so you know, I'm the educated one. She's the smart one. So I got it. Okay. Anything yes. you actually need an answer to ask her. Oh, I, I just deal in theory. Yes. So, but yes, we're excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Do so I have your permission to call you Glenn and Phyllis then? Oh, absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here because I feel like we need to hear more from people in it and making it work, yeah. finding yeah. solutions. Tell yeah. me more about, you know, wow. that. Well, and you know, it's interesting because I, I think part of our desire now is to help people before they're married so they don't have to go through all that pain that we went through. And, you know, yes, we work with a lot of married couples and a lot of them are in pain and in crisis. And so it's like, man, could we get this information out before we ever walk down the aisle? Like, and then, you know, you think about that, even how do we date? Well, that's, you know, it's like, yeah, let me know how to date. Well, that's such a huge part of it. And a lot of times we don't know. How do you instruct on how to date well now to newer couples? Well, you know, especially Glenn does have a, um, a, um, I can't even MFT. think. <laughs> what do you do? You have a <laughs> private practice. That's what he does. And he does work with couples that are dating as well as married people. And I think you always say your favorite is people that aren't married yet. Cause you kind of feel like, you're not just dealing with crisis and pain and years of disconnect, but you're actually setting couples up to figure all this stuff out. And, you know, our own story, 
of pain, just, it was because we didn't know. And I, and I think, you know, before we were married, we would have said we, we had all the things for success and, you know, things on paper, like Mm. where you would go, oh, wow. Yeah. Y'all have, you've got a good job. You've got, uh, you know, you've got all the stuff. Like Mm. we bought our first house right before we were married so that, you know, we, all the things, right. Where you go, wow. Like y'all have got it together, but we didn't. And we, for sure, living life every day together was very different than the dating scene that we had been in. And it was like, wow, the pain of all of that led us down a road of so many years of not understanding. And it it is interesting because I would say what we thought about is what you would call the logistics of life. Mm -hmm. And eventually we realized, okay, as hard as you try to get all the logistics to line up perfectly, you're still two very different people and you see the world very differently and you experience every day very differently. Um, And so it's like, wow, what in the world happened for us? Because we fought over logistics forever. And one of the things that we share uh, often is what we call the dishwasher story where, and this was what, 20 years into our marriage where we kind of had this same scenario over and over. Glenn unloaded the dishwasher. I was about to put dirty dishes in and I realized, oh, he's unloaded the dishwasher. And I was like, thanks, babe, for unloading the dishwasher. And in my mind, that's a compliment. And the response from the other person should be, you're welcome. But that was not our story. Yeah. And the problem is I live with one of the most productive people on the planet. And she lives (laughs) with one of the lesser productive people on the planet. I'm fun to have around, but I struggle getting things done. So whenever she would say, thanks for loading the dishwasher, which is completely good and right. And she certainly had no negative intentions from that. Uh, but what I heard her saying was, whoa, it's a miracle. Glenn did something productive for a change. You know, throw some confetti. Let's have a party, celebrate, call the internet. And so I felt insulted. I felt demeaned. I felt, uh, you know, that she was making fun of me that, mm-hmm. whoa, it's amazing. Glenn did something useful. Uh, so I would respond to something like, you know, it's not, it's not like it's the first thing I did all day, or, you know, it's not like the only time I've ever unloaded the dishwasher. And of course she would be so taken aback. And and we did this literally thousands of times, this sort of interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was like something Paper like, cuts. I, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she, she said, I, I didn't say it was the only thing you did today. I was just saying, thanks for unloading the dishwasher. Typically people say you're welcome you know, in response <laughs> to that. And so it was many, many years, many, many, many paper cuts, many woundings uh, of that. When one day she said, what happens for you whenever I say that? And that was a big, big turning point in our relationship. Mm. And um, I said, I don't know. And she said, well, what do you hear me say? And I said, I hear you say what you said. And I didn't use the B word, but I thought it. And um so she said, yeah, but what's the message? And she could have walked out at any point and just rolled her eyes and said, good grief. He's so absurd, which would have been correct. Uh, and instead, she stayed in it with me because I uh, matter that much to her. And uh, what we call the ooh, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But she ooed me for the first time in our relationship because I explained to her what happened for me, uh, mm-hmm. what I experienced in it. And she said, oh, that's the reason you respond the way that you do. Uh, because I was hearing three paragraphs from her when she said one uh, sentence. And that was a big turn for mm-hmm. us. And uh, this is way pre-connection code. So uh, we had a whole lot more to get on straight. But that was a big turning point 
for us when she realized that what I experienced and what ha- actually happened were two very, very different things. And it had nothing to do with Phyllis. It had, even though she was there, she was in it, but it was not her fault. Uh, you know, she, she was not, uh, the, the problem is what happened inside of me, which I wasn't trying to experience that. It's not that I, you know, got up in the morning and decided to experience that. That's just got what triggered happened the moment. Right. Yeah. And now we know how to process that literally in 30 seconds, which blows my mind because those used to be hours, days, literally weeks uh, of disconnect, weeks of pain. Uh, One other thing about that, as far as what Phyllis was saying, is the reason we so desperately want to get to pre-married couples, pre-partnered couples, is because of the trauma that they experience. Mm. You know, I love that you mentioned paper cuts. There's so many woundings and most modern marriage therapy is about conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem is conflict resolution, by definition, means there was conflict. It means there was wounding. Well, if you give me 390 paper cuts, there's going to be some point where I start pulling away from you and I'm not going to feel safe with you. You know, it is interesting. One of the podcasts that you just recently put out was about the Surgeon General mentioning loneliness right. and how it's as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah. And uh, we, we, in our book, but our masterclass as well, we actually talk about the different emotions that fire in our brains. Mm-hmm. And we talk about even that whole idea of loneliness and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, how we define words, like what, what really is loneliness? Cause sometimes people go, oh man, I'd do anything to have a few hours all by myself. Right. And, and so the fact that we're in a room with a bunch of people does not immediately take care of loneliness. Sometimes we still feel very alone in a room with a bunch of people. And it's kind of understanding that if you define it in a way that helps you to recognize, oh, you know, I feel all alone when it comes to doing the dishes at night. Like I never seem like I get any help. It's like you're able to tune into yourself and then also express to your family members or your roommates or your partner man, I feel really lonely when it comes to dinner and the cleanup and the cooking and whatever you might be experiencing. And to realize that, oh, okay, loneliness may look different in different ways. And it's like kind of giving each other the, the, the language so we can connect through the emotion versus fighting over the logistics and yelling at each other because it's like, you never pick up after yourself or you never do the dishes. And then you're you're just kind of fighting and disconnecting over logistics instead of I mean, people shut down immediately too yeah, when yeah. like when they feel like they're being attacked uh and that person might not just be attacking it's like exactly what you said you're just saying a comment but you mm-hmm. know that the feeling of like i think what glenn was saying before it's like yeah yeah and shut down people- is totally true can i ask a question before you keep going yeah, yeah. i want to know like demographically like what are our stats here so like when did you meet how long were you dating before you got married? Because I think I want to understand like the context of like, you know, your congrats on buying a house before you got married. What age yeah. are we talking about? And yeah. by the way, right now, like no one, no new couples are buying houses. Right. Yeah, <laughs> well, we've been together a long time, 40 yeah. years, <laughs> 40 years. Holy yeah. smokes. You do not look like, you know, before you were mentioning like, you know, 20 years, this happened. And I, I, I know people can't see you because it's a podcast, but let me tell you what these people look like. <laughs> when she said 20 years before, 20 years into the marriage, this happened. I'm thinking like, okay, so he went to college. He just finished college like six months ago. <laughs> and I, I, I can't believe you guys have been married for four years. You don't look, yeah. 
you don't look your age. Well, wow. Congrats, you look very young. Oh, thank you. Yeah, July thirty. So, Forty-one. Yeah, years. I love that. So, yeah. so how old were you when you met? So we were high school sweethearts. Met when we were 15, 16 uh, at a summer camp. I hit her in the head with a baseball or with a softball. Actually, she never <laughs> recovered. She's been wow. deliriously in love ever since. But um, so we dated four years. Most of it was long distance, and then we married at that same camp. Um, How old were you married when you got married? Nineteen and twenty. Uh, which you guys, people we used to buy houses old. before yes. before they were twenty years old four yes. years ago. Yes. Right, what, right. The GI Bill, Jesus, guys, uh, I can't believe it right now. I'm like annoyed. I I make uh, I, little little tan- tangent here. Uh, I make more money than both of my parents combined, yeah. and I still do not qualify uh, to buy a one. Uh, anyway, anyway, anyway. Yeah. Um, well, okay. You know, so that's really interesting uh, that, you know, you're, you're, so you don't have like a big relationship history. You are each other's history and you've been building mm-hmm. together ever since. Right. Um, can right. I ask, is it inappropriate to ask um, to Glenn, like what exactly triggered you in the dishwasher scenario? Yeah. Well, gracious. First of all, you can ask anything. It's your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um well, you know, as I mentioned, I live with one of the most productive people on the planet. So she was perpetual motion. She was always, she got more done in 10 minutes than most people did in an hour. And I get more than I got done in a day. And so yeah. it was overwhelming for me. I always felt that I was less than, I always felt that I wasn't competent, wasn't good enough. And so when she would, and again, not this is not at all an indictment of Phyllis, when she would draw attention to something I'd done, it sounded to me like she was saying, you know, whoa, it's amazing. Glenn did something productive for a change. He's usually this lazy sluggard that sits over in the corner and, uh, you know, just sucks on his thumb. That's what I was experiencing, which she had no idea. And again, Mm -hmm. we went through this for years. We're not talking about one weekend. This was years and years, literally two decades, uh, that we experienced that over and over again. Mm -hmm. And we're completely clueless. Number one, what was happening. And number two, how to convey that, how to process uh, that And that's the reason we're so lit up about the connection codes, because we know how to do that now. And most of our tense moments last about 30 seconds. If you right. had said that to me 30 years ago, I might have, let's see, you would have been young. I could have punched you in the <laughs> face, I guess, and gotten away with it. Um, Probably not. But I, I would, if you'd say, I don't know that she was alive. I don't years. think I was alive when you guys uh, got married. <laughs> anyway. Do you have so- children? Yes, yeah. we okay, have. Okay, okay, keep keep going. I just want to make children. sure. <laughs> what you four children? Okay, keep going, keep going, keep going, Glenn. Ten and grandchildren. ten grandchildren. So yeah, we're busy, busy grandparents. Yeah. For sure. Um, but uh, I, if someone had said to me thirty years ago, you know, you could process this through in thirty seconds, I would have been offended, and mm-hmm. because I would have thought you were making fun of me, like, oh, you dummy, why don't you just process this through in thirty seconds? I literally had no idea that that was a thing. And to this day, and, and you know, we've been married a long time, and it's just the last several years that we've gotten in such an incredible groove, and we still look at each other at times where we process through something in 15, 20, 25, 30 seconds, and we look at each other like, wait, what? That mm. That's a thing? Like, we're overwhelmed by that in mm. a good way. Like, shoot, 25 years ago, this would have been a three-hour conflict or three-day or three-week conflict. And now says it through in 30 seconds. I'm like, and to think about all the life that now we're saving and all the life that we missed, because when you're at odds with the person that you're living with, it's intense, it's incredibly painful, and you lose so much of life. 
because I'm mad at Phyllis, you know, for hours and days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm a lesser version of myself because my mind, my emotions are so wrapped up in the conflict that I was having with her. And I'm just not as productive, which I was already struggling to be productive. So now I'm even uh, less uh, on point with what I need to get done. So it just startles me that this is even possible. Right. And so then you go and get your MFT. So -hmm. you're dealing with this and then you have created a program since then. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you developed that program. First of all, how did your relationship shift upon acquiring this new knowledge and your education? Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing to clarify. And also did your kids notice it? Mm, oh yeah. <laughs> well, so Glenn did not go back to school to get his marriage and family therapy degree until he was almost 50. Right. And so, uh, you know, it was like, we got to this place where I knew he was just going down the wrong road in life. Like this is not what you're doing is not what you were meant to do. Yeah. I was a contractor uh, and not a very good one because my specialty was taking a five month job and making it last for a year, uh, which I did over and over again for the same amount of money. And uh, so, and I mentioned before, I'm the educated one. Phyllis is the smart one. Uh, in the 2000s, she said, babe, as hard as you work, we should be rich and we're not rich. So we got to do something different. And so she made me quit working, which I don't know a lot of men that can say my wife made me quit working. She said, I'll take care of money. You go back to school and figure out whatever, whatever we're going to, going to do. Uh, and that was such a huge benchmark in our relationship. So I was able to go back to school, do a tremendous amount of studying, but then I was able to do research. And that was the big thing where I started out. And again, I didn't know at first. I was like, this just doesn't make sense that this thing called marriage that everybody is excited about at the beginning. You know, I've never been to a wedding where they're like, you know, we're going to be in love for maybe six months, two years, whatever. And then we'll dissipate into some level of blahness and just hang on for the next 50 years. I've never been to that wedding that every wedding I've ever been to. They're like, oh, we found each other with the love of our lives, you know, so happily ever after. And then it very quickly dissipates. Uh, our research says that 91% of couples self-identify as, that their marriage is unsuccessful. 91%. Wow. That's bad. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean they're going to file divorce papers. It just means that they don't, they're not connected. They don't view their relationship as successful. So I thought this is not possible. How can, and for our story, you know, 24 hours before our wedding, we were excited about happily ever after. 48 hours afterwards, we're like, this is not working. And we just signed a 70 year contract and we didn't even know how long 70 years was. So I thought there's got to be an answer. This doesn't make sense. And so I began doing the research uh, to figure out what causes people to disconnect, which I thought that was brilliant. But again, whenever I showed it all to Phyllis, Phyllis said, well, yeah, but what causes people to connect? That's what matters. And she said, what if we reverse the factors that cause people to disconnect is that what causes them to connect and as usual she was correct and we now know what causes people uh, to connect and that's what we now call the connection codes tell me more about this program then well for one thing and i think you read that in the bio um, we always say we're the founders of the connection codes we discovered it we're not the creators because the connection codes are based on the human condition this is true for phyllis for glenn uh, for everybody, for Maria, everybody on the planet, this is how humans connect. Well, we discovered that. We didn't create it. It was true long before we were born. Uh, it's always been true. So the connection codes are just the blueprint, the language of how humans connect. And the, the beauty of this is it's already inside of you. It's already inside of each of us. We just, it got deactivated. 
uh, from culture, interactions, uh, people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. What, what deactivates it exactly? Like, uh, a, a three-year-old gets hurt and comes running inside and says, um, daddy, I fell down and I skinned my knee. And the dad says, you're fine. You're going to be fine. Uh, don't, don't get so upset. And the dad just shut down the authenticity. The dad, just, not from a bad heart. He's genuinely mm-hmm. trying to be there for his three-year-old and genuinely trying to help, but it, it begins deactivating. It says to the three-year-old, your experience is not valid. Your experience doesn't matter. You need to stop experiencing what you're experiencing. Well, the three-year-old knows that he or she feels pain. They're certain of that. And the dad is saying, no, you don't. You're okay. And of course, the three-year-old is going, no, I'm not okay. That's the reason I'm crying. Now, my parents uh, actually said to me many times, uh, they said, you stop your crying or I'll give you something to cry about, which right. I always thought was fascinating. I'm not mad at my parents uh, about it. Uh, my mother actually lives with us. She's 95. Um, she was doing the best that she knew how, but I can remember even then when I'm five, six years old thinking I'm not crying as a hobby. This isn't just like an extracurricular activity I'm doing for fun. I already have a reason to cry. Thank you very much, which I never said that to them or I wouldn't be here today. Uh, but they began shutting down my experience. They began shutting down my emotion so that by the time, you know, we don't chart these things. We don't know, but by the time I'm six, seven, 10, 12 years old, Uh, I basically don't exist anymore because I've been told over and over again not to convey what's authentic for me. And, you know, my story is similar as far as the home I grew up in. I'm the youngest of eight. And, you know, at the dinner table, we were not to speak. So, Mm. you know, at a very young age, it's like you learn these things that say to be a successful person in this family unit, stay quiet, don't express needs. Um, and I probably mastered that. Like I Mm. wanted to please my parents. And so I, the other expectation from our family was cleanliness and order. And, and so I was like, oh, tasks, that's what brings success, Mm. not, uh, tuning into needs or expressing needs or what, Mm. you know, emotion, the word emotion is for me. And I remember when I met Glenn, he was, um, what I would say was full of life and full of emotion. And I was like, for years, I said, he has enough emotion for both of us. I don't do emotion. And I believed that. Like I very much believed that gets you into trouble. That's unnecessary. It's really tasks that bring success. And so I thought, yeah, this works for me until I was around 50. And my body, as we know, our body keeps the score And by 50, my body said, I'm tired of holding all your emotion. And so my body just started reacting. And I, all these ways, like it was crazy to me how I'd been super healthy till I was 50. And then like, all of a sudden I stopped sleeping and you can't do that for long. Like that starts messing with everything else. And during that time is when Glenn was in school and well, finishing up and doing all the research and you already had your private practice, but he was working on his doctorate. And so he started talking to me about emotion and I was like, what? Like, no way. I've been very successful at this point in my life without ever having to acknowledge I have any emotion whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so it was quite the journey for me personally. And I believe a lot of the tools that we have, um, I needed them to be simple. I'm like, I'm not a researcher. I'm not going to read a bunch of books. So Mm. make it simple. I don't have a lot of time. 
And like one of the tools that we have is called the core emotion wheel. And, uh, you know, it's, it's this simple tool to help us tune into what's happening with us. And it's, it's a two minute tool for yourself. If you're partnered, it's a four minute tool. If you have roommates, you know, however many sit around the table and do this every day. And it, for someone like me, it was so like, wow, I cannot believe. Mm. And and of course there's a science side, you know, our brain houses emotion. I never knew that I was 50 years old. I'm like, you're gotta be kidding me. I didn't know my brain housed emotion. Like this is, what does that mean? that it houses emotion. Well, there's five neural regions that are the central command center. Emotion occurs throughout the body, but the the uh, what we call the limbic system is the central command center of emotion. And there's only five regions. There's anger, fear, disgust, pleasure, and pain. And that's part of the power of the connection because is we simplified this. Because if you sit somebody down and give them a list of 70 emotions and then say, you know, well, tell me what emotion are you experiencing? It's going to take them half an hour to sort through all 70 emotions. Whereas if they know that there's only five, there's just five. uh, And we actually divide the emotional pain region because it looks so different on a brain scan. And we divide disgust into guilt and shame. So there's eight core emotions. Well, this is true for every human on the planet. Therefore, I know it's true for whoever I'm sitting with. And if we can get them to be able to recognize the eight core emotions, number one, they'll be able to share them. They'll be able to process them. And number two, they'll be able to connect. Uh, relationally, because humans connect through shared processed emotion, humans disconnect through unprocessed emotion. And if people don't learn how to do this, which again, we did really well when we were 12 months old, when we're 12 months old, we're great at just conveying exactly what's happening for us in the moment. And then somewhere along the way, and again, it's different for each person, somewhere along the way, they start getting reprogrammed, but they never get recoded. That coding is still inside of them. It's still inside of every human on the planet today. And our goal is just, again, to reactivate it so that they're able to convey authentically what's happening for them and to convey the emotion, not convey through the emotion. So if I yell at you and I say, you know, you're such a jerk, you know, you know, you hurt me. Well, we're not going to connect through that. Whereas if I come to you and I say, I felt really hurt by what mm-hmm. you said earlier, I'm not even blaming you. Uh, did you contribute to it? Maybe. I don't even know. I don't really care. I just know I felt some pain uh, in that. And if I'm able to tell you that it changes the whole dynamic. Thinking about how, you know, before you mentioned that in a previous episode, we talked about loneliness and mm. how it's, yeah. uh, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you just now said Glenn that like that for connection to happen, we must be sharing in an emotion, right? Uh-huh. I got that right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it makes me think about how as extroverted as I am, there have been periods where I have felt very lonely. And now in thinking in the prism that you just told us about that, there needs to be a connection of emotions like, oh yeah, that event that I was at where I felt very lonely, I was not connecting emotionally with anyone around me because one, I was outside of my established community. Everyone was new, mm-hmm. but B, there wasn't anyone entertaining or bringing everyone together for me to have that connection. So I'll give you the the example that I'm thinking of. So that makes sense because I think single people, when they're navigating these out and about scenarios, which is a fantastic way to meet someone, which scenario should they be looking for? Right? So in this particular example, I got invited to, um, a fashion show. I was sent there by my agent. She's like, you have to go to this. I'm like, okay. And I was going by myself and I know, I don't know anyone at this. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that 
you know, if I'm being invited, that means that they're probably inviting like a lot of other people that might be influencers or something in their own space. And sure enough, I was out of place. Everyone there was like a beauty and fashion influencer. I'm just, I'm just a matchmaker. (laughs) Um, the reason why I'm mentioning this example is because in that room of 150 people, every time I would go to talk to someone. So leaning into my extroversion, I was being shut down mm-hmm. by people. And it was, there was no connection. I felt very out of place. And I would say, like, I would go to my go-to, I'd say, hi, I'm Maria. How did you hear about this event? Or hi, I'm Maria. You look beautiful. You know, what are you wearing? And the people I were talking, I was talking to, well, one of, some of them were just you know, I don't know, child stars. Like (laughs) what I mean by that is like, you know, they're famous on TikTok and Mm -hmm. that's a certainly a valid thing. Like that's employs a lot of people and I get it. Right. But they were so shocked that I didn't know who they were, Mm. that they were like turning their heads. Wow. And I was like, wow, what a, what an interesting experience that I'm having right now. But also in every opportunity where I was trying to talk to people and after like 30 minutes, I gave up, I was like, this isn't working for me because, and now I think back to this event, I was like, if there had been a host with a microphone, which I know that doesn't happen at fashion events. So maybe I should just not go to fashion events, but if I'm feeling this way, I'm pretty sure half of that room felt that way. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to connect to a brand, there has to be someone creating an emotion from, at least from what I'm hearing from both of you to connect to each other. So that is certainly something that I'm going to keep in mind. Um, you know, in recommending people when they go out and about of like to find events where the, an emotion can be created. So for instance, mm-hmm. you know, going to um, a tequila tasting event, there's usually a host there that's trying to convey, mm-hmm. you know, curiosity uh, yeah, uh, and openness in, in those emotions. And I'm sure that's how people connect. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Well, our goal, <laughs> our goal, first of all, is to get the connection codes to be worldwide so that everybody knows Here's my guess, and we always say it's dangerous to conjecture at other humans' experience, but probably what's happening is you speak to this person, and it's what we call identity, they lose identity. They feel wounded that you don't already know who they are, which is not Maria's fault. I'm not blaming okay. Maria that she doesn't know who this person is. She just doesn't know, so that that's just what's happening. But probably, and again, I wasn't there, I don't know but probably this other person loses identity. They lose their sense of self. They lose their sense of value that obviously I'm not valuable to Maria. I'm not good enough. I'm not seen and heard for who I am, this wonderful person that I am. And so they very quickly turn away from you, uh, whether relationally or geographically, they turn away from you because it's painful uh, for them. And again, I'm not blaming Maria for any of that. That's just what's happening for the other. And then the other doesn't know how to convey that mm-hmm. to you. Because you think about what would happen if they're able to say to you, oh, I feel a little bit of pain. I lose a little bit of identity that you don't know who I am already, uh, to which Maria just oozed them. And we call it the three phrases. She goes, oh, so wait, what happens for you there? What am I missing? They go, well, you know, I'm kind of famous on TikTok and uh, you don't know who I am. So I just felt a little bit unseen and unknown by you. And Maria goes, hmm, yeah, I get that. I hear you. And they would connect in that in 20 seconds. And it would totally change the dynamic, totally change uh, the interaction. I wanted to mention that yeah, the Happiness Institute out of Denmark was the first uh, longitudinal study to complete about the loneliness and uh, versus cigarette smoking. And that's been replicated, I think, nine times now with longitudinal studies, which are much more uh, they have much more efficacy than latitudinal studies. 
And it's just stunning to think that's amazing because I was a kid uh, those many, many years ago whenever the anti-tobacco campaign kicked into gear uh, in the 70s. And I think, what have right. we done now to, I mean, so much money has been spent to say, hey, tobacco is bad for you. Uh, we were on a cruise recently in the Caribbean and at one of the ports, the um, the front of the cigarette package, not the side, but the front says, this will kill you. <laughs> mm. And people are literally buying this, like, hey, give me a pack of that. This will kill you uh, stuff. So I think we're pretty intense about tobacco. Well, I would love for us to get that intense about an anti-disconnection, uh, an anti-loneliness. Hold uh, up. I have another theory now. <laughs> Someone needs to write a PhD if anyone is studying sociology. But do you think loneliness has increased with the decrease of cigarette consumption? There is that theory that research has been done because when people smoke cigarettes, they frequently smoke with other people. Right. Uh, and strangers. Hey, I need a lighter. Give me that lighter. Yeah. yeah. Like you meet people. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. There is a research project. I'm going to be like thinking about this for the next few weeks. Okay. So let's talk about now. Your program. Tell me yeah, a little let, bit more let about. Let me say real quickly. I'm not oh, trying yeah, to smoke cigarettes. It's just important <laughs> that people. Yeah, I'm not trying. Oh, but, but what dude, I'm Greek. I that, I would be lying if I told you that I don't smoke when I'm having like okay. if I'm three drinks, which is why I don't drink a lot because I'm like, ah, give me something. I need something. <laughs> right, but if we're going to choose between disconnection, between loneliness and cigarettes, cigarettes are actually better for you. Uh, than mm. loneliness, which that's what the research concludes. That's what the research shows. I, I yeah. actually read that as well. And I was like, that. I thought that was really interesting, um, which is now uh, I'm going to, I'm telling you, like when, if I have two drinks, I'm like, I'm always like, it's because I lived in Greece and my mm. last year of college, my boss smoked around the clock mm. and she needed me to be outside. So I had to pick up smoking. It's like that friends episode where Rachel picks up smoking. That's like a real thing in Greece. And, um, like in the beginning I was like resistant to it. I was like, no, it's okay. I don't smoke. And then she'd come back and she's like, I just hung out with Condoleezza rice. Cause I was working at the embassy in right. Athens. And I was like, oh, okay. Now I'm like really missing out on like some yeah. connections. I should get, I should start smoking. Yeah. And then after that, like I moved back to America and I quit immediately. It was fine. But now it's like, oh, if I have like a second drink, mm. I'm like, mm, that's why I don't drink. <laughs> I, I can't drink because then I'm like, right. well, you anyway. know, it's interesting. I mean, I know we went, we're going down a little rabbit hole here. <laughs> yeah. But you think about that, even companies and I've, I've not been out there for quite a while, but smoke breaks, it's yeah. like, if you have employees that smoke, you have to give them a smoke break and they go outside in this one little tiny area and they smoke and talk to people who are also out there on their smoke break. Yeah. Nobody wants to smoke alone. Then you're like a loser. Yeah. But also like, the idea is we need to incorporate a, um, a connection break. Mm, like right. every uh, employee deserves, yep, if they yep. get 15 minutes to smoke a cigarette, give me 15 minutes to go right. stand outside in this little tiny space mm. with a bunch of people to go, Hey, how's your day going? Mm. Well, you know, it's been kind of crappy. And then you, yeah. it's like we provide, we've always forever, as far back as I can remember, as far as with cigarettes, we provided smoke breaks, but we don't provide or put people together in small places mm. to just connect. Like it's time. It's like right. time to take a break here. You're in an eight hour work day. Hey, we got a break going on. Go out and stand together in this little spot and talk to each other. Don't get on your phones, but talk to each other. And right. it's, we don't. 
My husband's employer has does two things, which I think are pretty cool. Um, the one they have, like, I think like a weekly tea time. Mm, so cool. everyone does tea and desserts or like, you know, cool. pastries, yeah. but they also ta- do like weird presentations from what I've gathered. I don't know, like they'll present on something like, oh, here's my trip to India or whatever. Wow. And then um, they also have a bowling league. This is like a major pharmaceutical company. They've got like 30 bowling teams competing Ooh, with each wow. other every Tuesday. And I'm just like, that is such a brilliant yeah. way to have a community. Right. Even right. if it's among coworkers. Cause like face it, those are the people you are with a third of your life. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's learning, you know, I mean, again, we were kind of going down one road of just how to connect, how to build mm. community. But even with that, you, we need tools. We need tools yeah. because that's where this language that, that, you know, we have, we've written a book, we've got master classes. Yes, we have our own podcast. It's like being able to go, Hey, we get it. Like we've mm. been together now going on 45 years, married almost 41 next month. And it's wow. like, you know, we still don't see things the same way. So give us a language where we can communicate right. what our experience is without right. judgment of the other. And that has been so transformative for us, for our kids, for our grandkids, like kids are the most brilliant. They get this stuff so easily. Like if you give them a tool, which what we call the core emotion wheel, it's, it's these, it's the five neural region part of your brain broken into eight words and kids get it so fast. And what's amazing too, like when you're describing, uh, anger or sad or hurt or lonely, no matter what language you translate mm-hmm. that in, it's yeah. communicating the same thing. Yeah. And that's pretty wild when you see that in different languages. Yeah, and what the research shows is that whenever I'm able to say to Maria, Maria, I felt some fear a few minutes ago when that happened, it actually tickles the fear region of Maria's brain mm-hmm. and it becomes a shared human experience and we connect through that. And typically it would, you would experience fear at a lower level but you tune into me because you, your brain, your psyche knows what fear is. Uh, If I say to you, I'm overwhelmed. Well, you don't really know what I mean by that. And it's not wrong to say I'm overwhelmed, but it doesn't really cue you in to what's happening for me. And we use these words all the time, overwhelmed, stressed, uh, anxious, depressed, but the other person doesn't really know what that means. Whereas if you say, I felt fear, fear is a universal language. Everybody knows what fear is. Uh, is. And again, it doesn't matter what language you're speaking. When you say fear in whatever language, the other person knows what that uh, is. And the same is true with the other seven uh, core emotions. And we even did the research on the word joy versus happiness or or glad. Uh, A lot of therapists like to say happy or glad. Uh, Joy was the runaway winner. When I I say to Maria, I feel joy about that. It tickles the pleasure center in her brain. And it again becomes a shared human experience and she connects with me. Uh, it's not wrong for me to say, Maria, that was great. Thank you. Well, it's not wrong, but it does not activate your brain the same way as if I actually convey to you what the core emotion uh, is. I did want to mention one thing as far as the, the workspace, uh, just because it's so significant. Research came out last year, uh, and these pro- um, projects are, are starting to be completed, longitudinal ones, that say that people, uh, and this one conclusion, this uh, one project, uh, one of the conclusions was uh, that people should show up for work at one in the afternoon and work from one to five and spend the morning relationally, spend the morning processing emotions. And if they do, they will be more productive from one to five than they were being from eight to five. The research is pretty consistent that people are operating at about a 36% capacity 
Uh, and I don't believe in a hundred percent. I mean, nobody's going to be a hundred percent all the time, but if we could get people up there to 75, 80, 85, 90% of capacity, we would exponentially increase uh, what's happening uh, for us. And the research is bearing that out more and more uh, that people just don't, because they're, if I'm at odds with Phyllis, I am simply less creative. I am less productive. I'm not going to get nearly as much done because I left the house at odds with my best friend. And so I'm, it's going to be 1130 in the morning before I'm even thinking uh, clearly. Uh, and that's because the limbic system gets flooded and the cortex is shut down. The limbic system engages before the cortexes. The cortexes are where the executive functions, you know, thought, reason, logic, et cetera, uh, occur. And that's true for every human on the planet. There are no exceptions to that. So we are operating as dumber versions of ourselves, not because we're dumb, but because our limbic systems are flooded and people don't know what to do uh, with that. You know, they yell and scream and cuss and throw things uh, but they don't know how to actually process through the emotion. And that's what the connection codes are about. You keep asking about the connection codes, which we really should talk about. It's, I know. Talk about it. I want to hear. That's my next question. That's been my question. Tell me more about it. Yes. Oh, okay. So, You're so funny because he's, I think going down rabbit holes is well, much like more. Maria's oh, that's my favorite. Before. That's like my whole yeah. podcast is going yeah. down really rabbit holes. <laughs> so um, Initially, again, I just started the research going, what causes people to disconnect? And I just kept asking that question. We observed interactions, uh, literally thousands of interactions, and we started notating what, when they disconnect. So at this point, you know, in this interaction, she pulled away from him. You can either geographically, she literally leaned away from him, or you could tell relationally that she uh, pulled away from him. So initially just observing for about two and a half years, we did that. Then we began, we took all of that, um, uh, the data and said, okay, this seems to work. This doesn't. So now let's actually feed this to people. For example, uh, we found that when someone asks another person, why, why do you think like that? Why do you feel that way? Why did you do that? The other person pulls away 100% of the time. So it was pretty clear conclusion that, oh, well, we should never ask why, in relationships. Okay, well, then what do we do? And then we found that if they ask what happens, uh, it totally changes the dynamic. So again, and now we know it's not just married uh, couples. Uh, initially, this was just with married couples, but now we know it's with any human interaction, any human relationship. So whenever uh, Phyllis asks Glenn, babe, what happened for you there? What did I miss? Then we connect. And again, we ran this research over and over and over again, and we started noticing, wow, they never disconnect. Now, they don't always connect. There were plenty of neutrals, but they never disconnect if she will ask him what happens for him. So we're like, well, that's an easy solution. That's an easy answer. And I was startled when we first started compiling uh, the evidence that it could be this freaking simple. I'm like, mm. really? We just delete why and insert what happens? Are you kidding me? That that's impossible, but it's true. Uh, and again, the research over the ensuing years bore that out, that I, that actually is true. So the connection codes, as I mentioned before, the blueprint, the language of deep connection, and we put together a, a plan on how to do that. What we're all, the human condition consists of meeting needs. That's all we're trying to do is meet needs. Uh, the eight core emotions are the messengers of those needs. They tell us what the need is and what we call the three phrases is what sets that up. The three phrases are, ooh, what's happening, and I missed it. The ooh has lots of variations. It's just something audible. And we did research on that, that if I'm audible with Maria, mm -hmm. uh, it changes her brain reaction. Uh, I mean, just now, Maria, you said, mm-hmm. Well, that tickles my brain. I'm just like, okay, she's tuned in 
to me. She could be totally paying attention, but not audible. And my brain reacts differently. I start feeling loneliness, which is a pain experience. And I start feeling fear that she's not really with me. Whereas when she's audible, it changes uh, the, the, what happens in my brain, therefore it changes um, the interaction and the relationship. So this is just a whole setup. It's incredibly simple. There are tons of layers, lots of nuances, but it's incredibly simple and implementable. And we're hearing from people all over the world, literally. And the connection goes around over 60 nations uh, now, which kind of blows our minds that uh, this is happening. Uh, and, and that's part of the thrill of it is that this is cross-cultural. Uh, this is not just a, you know, Southeast United States uh, thing. This is just the human condition and it works for everybody on the planet. How can people learn more about this program and getting involved? Well, one of the things uh, that we always recommend is starting with the core motion wheel. And for, for your listeners specifically, we've set up a page. So if they go to connectioncodes.co forward slash matchmaker, they'll be able to download for free the core motion wheel. They'll get the instructions on how to use it. They'll get a video of us teaching them how to use it and kind of the significance of understanding just that language. And then, uh, you know, I think we've been, we've mentioned there's a book um, and if they also see our website, which is connectioncodes.co, they'll see that we have these master classes and we, uh, for your listeners offer a discount code. If they just type in match, all uppercase match, they'll get 20% off of any of the master classes. And, awesome. you know, it's, it is for us. Yes. Our story is inter interwoven, but even just a little bit that we've gotten to talk today where it's like, you know, people are waking up to these things as far as understanding loneliness and, mm. and things where you go, okay, I see a problem, but where's the solutions. And a lot of times it's, we have to understand it for ourselves mm like what you just shared, like you went to that event and it was really lonely and yeah. which is so good for you, for your own just physical health to be able to identify that and to be able to say, wow, that was lonely. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you'll never go to another one? Not necessarily. It may be a good space for you to go, but you'll be prepared. You'll go, you know yeah. what? I'm going to go into this. I'm going to enjoy the day, but I'm going to be prepared. Bring that, a friend along. <laughs> yes. Like set yeah, it up differently absolutely. so that it's actually entertaining mm -hmm. versus like, wow, that was not a connecting place for whatever reason. And maybe next mm -hmm. time it would be right. You you don't always know because someone else may be there who actually wants to, to know who you are and engage with you. But I think sometimes we don't see the things even for ourselves that are so important, just like loneliness and be able to go, wow, well, I'm, you know, I, I think if, if you're, you know, sometimes you go into places where you think there's so many people here, how in the world am I feeling lonely? And so then it's really easy to get lost even in that versus just being able to process, being able to verbalize, I just felt really lonely and I'm going to set myself up better next time so that I can experience this differently. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, it's been awesome having you on here <laughs> and I want to thank you so much for joining me on the ask a matchmaker podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm going to include everything that you said in the show notes too, so that people can click links and promo codes and all that stuff. But I really appreciate you giving my listeners a promo code. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We love that. And we love these spaces. And I feel mm -hmm. like we, uh, we would love to come back because, you know, even just talking about 
being authentic in dating. And I I feel like we could spend a whole episode just talking about that and how maybe that's an upcoming episode, uh, in the new season, we're already planning for season four. So in yeah. September, that's actually a fantastic thing. That. I'm going to yeah. make it out, put on the boats. I'll yeah. hunting and dating. I would love to hear more about yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And we're hearing from singles around the world, just that this is revolutionizing their dating right. uh, interactions, dating relationships, and they're able to connect so much more deeply, so much quicker. That's uh, awesome. Because they know now, I mean, because we're just simply reactivating what's already inside of them. They just mm-hmm. didn't know how to do it. Yeah. You know? Well, Glenn uh, and Phyllis, thank you again for coming to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Yes. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Connection codes. Yeah. Perfect. I'm going to include that link in the show yeah. notes too. Thank you again. Oh, thank Absolutely. you. It's been so fun. Thanks, Maria. And thank you for listening to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, why not go give it a five-star rating? Mm -hmm. And I know I interrupt sometimes, but listen, I did not interrupt Phyllis or Glenn in this episode at all. So if you gave me that one-star or three-star review of interrupting, maybe amend it. I'm trying to grow as a human. (laughs) I love it. Anyway, be lovable, but more important, be likable. See you next week.